uh, we've been in this series on Wednesday nights on bumper sticker theology and this idea of, uh, well, we, we, the world has a lot of ideas of what the Bible says and, and uh, without really checking the scriptures, you know, the world kind of comes to some conclusions on those ideas and thinks, uh, <clears throat> and thinks just because maybe they heard uh, their mother or their father or somebody else say it that uh, that means that it's true. Maybe they've heard a friend at work say it, that that means it's true. This one's a little bit, tonight, is a little bit more uh, common, though, in the house. It's not an outhouse theology, it's an in-house theology that we got to correct, okay? And we're going to be talking about the will of God and how some people have this impression that there is some perfect will of God in every decision that they make. And uh, just going to absolutely help you with that tonight. If you think that there is something that is absolutely so finite that you're walking a tightrope that, you know, if you make the next decision and it's not exactly perfect in what you think God wants you to do, let me tell you, you probably won't make many steps of faith at all. You'll have a life that is continually just waiting on God to show you the next perfect thing. And I just want to tell you tonight, that's really not faith, it's analysis paralysis. It's an idea of waiting for perfect circumstances and situations to occur to confirm or affirm what you believe God is going to say for you to do. Now, I know in the Old Testament we got a guy by the name of Gideon that put on a, out a fleece. I don't see that methodology. I don't see that uh, something as applicable to the New Testament. In the New Testament, the Bible again and again calls the Holy Spirit the spirit of wisdom. If any man lacks wisdom, let him call upon the Lord who giveth liberally, right? And in God giving you wisdom, you're going to have to make certain decisions. And God's not going to spell out every little minute detail for you in making those decisions. In other words, the next step of faith, you don't know all the details. You take it based upon what you do know from the Lord. Okay? And that's a walk of obedience. And I know some of you would like to have more details. Let me just tell you this. You'll see God get very detailed when it has to do, in the Old Testament, with the ark. You'll, he gets very detailed when it has to do with the tabernacle. He gets very detailed when it has to do with the temple. Okay? He gets very detailed in the New Testament when it has to do with His Son, Jesus Christ. He, gets, he gives us what I will call the umbrella of His Word everywhere else. Right? Where you've got this room to make a decision that you don't have every detail, you don't have everything perfectly outlined for you, you've got just enough to make the, step, the next step. And, 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 and I want to help you a little bit with this because um, we'll do a test here in a moment to see if we're, if we're getting this. But, but uh, before, I, before I help you with it, how about we turn to Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. Colossians 3, 17, and we'll, we'll, we'll take a look at that verse. But I want to help you with this a little bit. When I was a youth pastor for years and years and years, and you know what, this has happened a few times as a lead pastor, I've had people come to me and say, Pastor, I'm just praying that God will bring me to the perfect spouse that he has for me. And I always get a, a little bit of a snicker on my face, you know. Oh, what, what's so funny? What's so, and I don't dare tell them what's funny. Because they're not at a place in their life where they understand that God's, God's will is not necessarily a who out there. It's a who in here. In other words, more of what God is calling you to do in His will is developing your character 
than it is out here developing perfect circumstances. Let me put it to you another way, okay? What God really wants you to do is to, is to start praying to be that right spouse. Come on. So that your character will be ready. But I can't say that right away because there's always that idea that people have. And I call it bumper sticker theology. I just have to meet the perfect person. God wants you to be more like his son Jesus Christ than he does in character than he does even in your career. Let's talk about careers. I've met people, they've said, you know, God has called me to do this and this alone. There's nothing else I can do. Baloney. There's a lot of things you can do to the glory of God. Now, some of you are looking at me like, is that really true? Absolutely, it's true. Will God bless you in what you're currently doing? We'll get to that in a minute. By the way, if you like to do it and you're glorifying in it and you're leading people to Christ in it, stay on it. Don't think that there's some other perfect place for you to be in God's will and you're just doing this along the way. Okay? How about this? Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do, what does is, what is whatever mean? Whatever. <laughs> That's what it means. In the Greek, whatever means whatever. Okay? And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And, and, and we see that this is the will of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What's the will of God? Giving thanks in all things, whatever you do. So I'm going to go back to the umbrella here. There's some people that think that if I don't get to the perfect place, meet the perfect perf- person, do the perfect thing, do exact, and I've got to pray for 30 days before I get to each of these places, right? You know, I'll never be where God really wants me to be. And, and, and the reality is this, you can pray along the way. But what God really wants you to do is get a hold of his word, begin to take a step and stay under his word, right? Now, this is a little bit of a false metaphor here because this umbrella goes where I go. But, but if there was some way I could lift this up in the sky and do a Mary Poppins, okay, and, and begin to go where it goes, I want to stay under the umbrella of God's word. I don't ask God to bless what I do. I do what he's blessed. But in doing what is blessed, how do I know that? How do I discern that? Listen. I don't know perfectly how to discern the next step. I just take him at his word and I step. And if that is hard for you, welcome to the club. Because it's hard for all of us. But it is how he leads. Okay? (laughs) Now, what I'm going to do is is I'm going to take you through some things that I, there's just some sayings I've had over the years. And I want you to tell me which character what part of character this would speak to. Because people talk to me all the time and say, Pastor, I just want to know the will of God. I want to know the will of God for my life. And should I stay or should I go? You know? <laughs> should I stop? Should I go? Should I turn left? Right? What do I do? Here we go. Okay? When God closes a door, don't look for a window. What part of character would that be? If we were to use a word in character, would that be What? patience right waiting on him they that wait upon the lord shall renew their strength they shall mount up with wings as eagle they shall run and not be weary right so so understand this we need to wait if god closed the door what are you looking for a window for the door's closed wait for the next door okay you're getting this just a little hint on the next question it's the same word for character okay you'll all get it right then okay here it is here's what we do 
We walk by faith. We don't run. The Bible never says run by faith. It says walk by faith. If we're walking and not running, what's the word? Patience. Give yourself a scratch and sniff, 100 points. Is that character? Yeah. Here's another one that I, that I often use. Uh, pray twice, commit once. Right? That might be humility. Right? We commit to a lot of things out of pride, out of trust in our own strength. God wants us to pray more about it, but it's humility. How about this one? The spirit of show up. I say that a lot to people. Just start showing up. Wherever God has you right now, show up faithfully. Do you know how I started pastoring as a rural ranger leader? I started showing up at the church that needed somebody to do rural rangers. I had no clue that it would lead to this. Trust me. If somebody told me that it led to this, I would have stopped right there. I, honest, honest to God. And it wasn't like God, a beam of light came down from the sky and says, you're going to do this. And so start at Royal Rangers. You know, I wasn't ready for all that. And you weren't either. Okay. I just started showing up. All right. So what do we call that? We call that being faithful. Right. So it's more about character than anything else. Uh, how about this? How about this? Um, this is for people in relationships. When, when Adam needed Eve, was he focusing on Eve or was he focusing on God? He was focusing on God. So what happened? God then brought him to Eve, right? So pastor, how do I meet somebody? Um, focus on God, Right? Oh, I've got to have this perfect person, and I've got to, you know, I got to know his will on that. Um, focus on God, right? So, what do we have there? Well, we have an idea of selflessness. I'm giving myself to God, and I'm seeking God first, not what I think I need, but what He wants me to do. Okay. Uh, how about the last one? Grow where you're planted, right? Or dance with the one who brung you, right? What is that? That's commitment. These are all character traits. And I want to teach tonight how, how God and His will has more to do with who you become rather than what you do. It's who you become in each step of life. Okay? So I hope we can get that tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 helps us. It says, whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. You say, well, I want to drive a truck. Go drive a truck. Well, I don't know if God would be pleased with that. He'll be pleased with that if you do it to the glory of God. Hello? Well, I like to weld or, or I, I, I enjoy uh, landscaping. Go do it. I, I enjoy teaching. I enjoy leading. I enjoy going. Go do that. Well, I can't go do something I enjoy. God wouldn't want that for me. That's ridiculous. He knitted you inside your mother's womb. He knew you before you were born. He put inside of you all of your passions. Take a step of faith and walk in the things that he's created you to do. But do it to the glory of God, not to the glory of you or, 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 or for anyone else, right? So I'm going to dispel this Western lens that we have on the will of God. The Western lens says the will of God is a career orientation. Young people are even taught this. You must discover before you go to college what you need to go to college for. And then everybody changes their major four or five times. I'm not, come on, right? Well, I started at this and now I'm at this and I must be confused. 
know you're on a journey. Can I tell anybody that's in college, just finish. Finish anything. Just finish anything. And you're like, oh, that's real good advice. Really? It looks great on a resume that you finished. Just finish. You say, well, what if I'm, what if I'm finishing something that I don't enjoy? Well, don't start something else and then start something else again and never finish anything. Hallelujah. Come on. Just have a story of finishing. You know, in the past when I've hired people, it's not been often, but when I look at a resume, I really don't care what the degree is. I just want to know it's a story of a finisher. I want to know, can somebody finish what they start? Right? Well, I've been at this church 20 years. I've done about 13 million things. But did you finish anything? Right? Just finish. (laughs) The Western lens says, it's all about what I'm doing. And God says, no. (laughs) People didn't think that way in the Bible. It's all about who you're becoming. Right? Even Paul would have said, I make tents too. Right? I don't just preach. I like making tents. And I'm okay with sailing and visiting different places. And I can learn different languages. Right? Okay. All right. So it's not so much about the what. That is something that I think we focus on a little bit too much. Uh, It's more about the who and the character of who I'm becoming. You say, why? Why is that? Because Christ is the center of the will of God for your life, not you. I'll say it again. You're not the center of the will of God for your life. Christ is. The Father is measuring how much or how little you're becoming like His Son. He's not measuring how far you went in your career or what you studied. or He's not measuring how big your house is or how many rooms are in it. When we get to the parable of the houses built on the sand and on the rock, We don't hear anything about what's above the surface. We hear about what's below the surface, the foundation. One house was built on the rock. The other was not. It doesn't matter what the house looked like. I know you're just like me. The neighbors painted their house blue. So what? Right? Well, this neighbor has a purple house. So what? Is that house built on a foundation and that's what's below that's what's inside god is saying tonight are you in my will by who you're becoming are you becoming like my son jesus christ i say well pastor there's some things i've been wondering about god's will here's the first one if i'm experiencing a storm does that mean i'm out of god's will the rain falls on the just and the unjust that it, it it does one One is built on Christ and one is not. It's just that simple. Whatever you're building right now, build it on Christ. If you're not building at all, build something, please. And stop just starting to build something. Finish something. But finish it on Christ. I want you to think about this for a second. There were two people in the Bible that experienced a storm. One was out of God's will and one was in God's will. Jonah was out of God's will. He was going the wrong direction, the wrong way. And the more he went the wrong way, the wrong direction, the more of a storm he encountered, right? And things didn't get better until his heart got better. And when his heart changed in the side of the belly of that fish that God created, that's when things on the outside changed. But I want to point you to the New Testament to Jesus. He was in a storm too, and he slept through it. He slept through it. 
The Bible says that he was in, he was in the ship and he was on the Sea of Galilee. And, you know, he's, he had a pillow there and he was out cold. What you and I consider to be the worst moments and circumstances in our life, God says, that's something I take a nap in. That's something I relax in. And you can too. How do you know the difference though? The difference is, is how close you are to Jesus. Both of them got storms. One was running from God and one was in the boat with God. It's all about the boat you're in and who you're in that boat with. You say, well, I'm in that boat with pastor. Whoop-de-doo. Whoop-de-doo. It's Jesus in that boat. And I'm not saying get in a boat, sail somewhere, and then invite Jesus to come in it. I'm saying get in the boat he's in. It's going to be a storm. I mean, you think the devil is going to, you think he's going to pull punches just because you're in a boat with Jesus? He's going to bring it on. But you're going to survive that storm. You don't have to be thrown overboard and swallowed by a fish and be fish bait either. You can be protected in that storm because you know you're with Jesus. Being with Jesus is God's will. Not what kind of boat it is, what kind of lake you're on, or what kind of uh, body of water you're on. Being with Jesus is God's will. Hello, hallelujah. A few years ago, there was an ad on TV that started like this. There was a woman sitting in a car. She was minding her own business. And suddenly the man comes out of nowhere. This man comes out of the blue, throws open the door, grabs the woman and jerks her out of the car, pulls her out of the car. Everyone is stunned to see what is happening in the parking lot. To their horror, they see that she's jerked to the pavement, pulled away from the car by her legs. Then the camera pulls back and we see that the car is actually on fire, that the man is actually saving her life. And in a close-up view, we see one story. But in a wide lens view, we see the whole story. That was in Chicago, and it was Channel 10 News. See the bigger picture. Can you see God's picture? What you're in the middle of right now, you might say, this can't be God's will. I'm being jerked around. I'm being pushed around. I can't believe the door of my life just got flung open. And God, why are you pulling me out of the middle of this thing? But pan out, folks. God is pulling you out of the middle of that thing because what you're in is on fire. And what you're in could destroy you. See, God does use situations, suffering, and circumstances sometimes to get us out of things. I love that the same God that calls us to the book Cherith dries up the same brook. Elijah heard from God. Elijah was fed by ravens by a brook. And then God came along and said, time to move and dried up the same place. Can you move when God dries things up? It's all about being with God. It's not about the place as much as it is the person. So check your foundation. Check your foundation. Here's the second one. The will of God is complicated, Pastor. It's complicated. It's convoluted. It's so complicated, I can barely understand it. I pray and I pray and I pray, and it just seems like God never tells me what I'm to do next. Let me help you with this. It's, if you'll see it from the point of view of character and attitude, you'll see how simple it really is. Some scriptures, please. 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Rejoice always. Can you say that, please? Thank you. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God. 
Okay. Rejoicing is a character thing. Praying is a character thing. And everything giving thanks is a character thing. For that's the will of God in Christ. Did you get that? There isn't one what in that. It's all about who. Well, I thought God would tell me. I, this would be a lot easier if he told me. Maybe he doesn't want you to know the what. Maybe he wants you to become the who so that you're ready for the what. 1 Peter 2, 15. For this is the will of God. Okay, what's the will of God? Here it is. That by well-doing you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Okay, so if I serve without my mouth, right, I shut up other mouths. That's the will of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. No wave. I thought a wave would just go right across and just come back and hit me and knock me into that baptismal. Hopefully there'd be some water in it. Probably not tonight. What's the will of God in that workplace where everybody's running their mouth? God says, have the character to serve in silence, and that will eventually shut. Woo! Woo! Pastor, I thought God's will was for me to quit. They don't like me there. <laughs> First Thessalonians 4.3. For this is the will of God. Okay, now we're still talking about the will of God, aren't we? For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you knows how to control his own body in sanctification and honor, not in passion and lust. Watch this. This is what I tell men, especially young men. Before you get married, you should be sexually pure. So it's not as much about the person that you're getting married to or wanting to marry it's about the person you are and you should be becoming in christ hello romans 12 2 you know it don't conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you'll be able to prove what is the good perfect and acceptable will of god if your mind isn't transformed you won't even know and what is that it's not out here it's in here that's where the will of God is experienced and known. It's simple, really simple. Here's the next one. The focus of God's promises and plan and his will are just for me. I wish I could destroy every mug, every stupid t-shirt. I'm going to say every foolish pen, every honking bumper sticker I've seen that says, I know the plans that God has for me. It doesn't say for me. It says in Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans of God that I have for you. And you is plural. You is not you, sister. <laughs> you is all of God's people. You in that verse doesn't mean you. It means all of his people. Oh, God's got plans for me. I'm special. Right? You are special. You're a special part of his body. And every one of his promises have to do with his body, not you alone. It, none of his promises have to do with you individually. All of his promises call you to be a part of his body and serve in his kingdom. And this has got to be taught and preached, man. Because if one more person tells me, well, I know the promises that God has for me, says the Lord, promises for me to prosper and not to harm me, promises that are good. Okay, but... It ain't for you. 
It's for all of God's people. And really, the people that heard that, if you read the rest of the context of Jeremiah chapter 29, you'll see the people that heard that promise died in Babylon. Did you know that? They all thought they were going home. The rest of the chapter says, so build houses, plant vineyards, raise, have children. They were there for 70 years after they heard that verse. It was their kids that went back and seen the full fulfillment of that. If I see one more dumb Christian t-shirt, it's just dumb. That promise ain't for you alone, for your little moment in your life right now. That promise is for generations. And you have a part in that promise. But it ain't all about you. It's about God's will and about His Son and what He's performing in this world for His Son. That next generation were the ones. Had they not built houses, how much of that can be God's will? that I have to go and maintain a home. You know, the people that heard that, that promise had to go to work in Babylon, had to plant vineyards and farm in Babylon, had to build houses and had to raise kids in Babylon so that their kids could experience the fullness of God's promise. Put that on a t-shirt. Put the whole context, will you? I'd love to just see a Christian t-shirt that says, have you read the context? That'd be nice. Put any verse you want on there. <laughs> Have you read the context? <laughs> All right, enough about that. Here's the next one. Well, if I want it, it simply cannot be from God. If I want it, there's no way God wants it. Then I look at Psalms 37, 4, and it says, Delight yourself in the Lord, right? And He shall give you the desires of your heart, as if God is against desire. That's Buddhists. Buddhists eradicate desire. Not that I'm here to teach you about Buddhism, but one of the pillars of Buddhism is all desire leads to pain and suffering. That is not Christianity. God has put desires inside of you. You are to manage them. You are to manage them under the boundaries of God's word. And he expects you to make a decision about it. He expects you to act. He's not going to force you. You're not his robot. You have a heart and he put that heart inside of you. And he wants you to live your life to his glory. And he designed you just the way you are, man. You know, there was a time in my life I thought, well, it's going to be music. Well, I didn't end up doing music. There was another time in my life, well, it's going to be a science teacher. Well, I got to do that for a little while as a, as a sub, but well, how did that all add up? And then there was another time in my life when I was self-employed, and what's that all going to amount to? And God, why are you doing all these different things in my life? Then I become a pastor, and I figure out that, oh, okay, I'm going to teach. I'm always going to help in music somehow. I'm always going to bring up ridiculous factoids from science that nobody would care about. I guess I'm right where I need to be right? God can use all of that stuff. It's not like any of that throws him off when he knows that your days are numbered and he knows how those days are going to line up. It's not that hard. You just, you, be, you become more and more like his son through the power and grace of his spirit. And you don't worry about the what. You become more of the who. So let me give you 
how that kind of ends up because some people get so upset over the, some of the things that are in their heart that they think, well, perhaps that if I like numbers, God hasn't called me to business. How, how does going into business have anything to do with godliness? It has everything to do with godliness. If we don't have more people in business to hire people, we don't have more Christian businesses that we can reach. Do you think everybody's just going to walk through a church door to get saved? Most of them are going to meet God in the marketplace. And wouldn't it be something if you, who love numbers, right? And I'm speaking to my good friend in the back, Matt Geckel. He's a numbers guy. Do you know Matt Geckel? Do you know this man? He's a genius. He'd want to punch me in the gut for saying that. I was over at uh, Cracker Barrel with Matt last night. We're talking. And he just, he went to school for numbers. He works over, I'm sorry, in advance, okay? I owe you, owe you another dinner, okay? So, uh, you know, he, he's working in Columbus. Yes? No, where? I wasn't listening. Well, before Marathon. Oh, yeah, in Columbus? Dayton. Yeah, so I get a C minus. Okay, he was working somewhere else, and now he's here. And, he, and you know what? Now he's at Marathon, and he's, he's doing the books there. But in the meantime, miraculously, mysteriously, a guy by the name of John Musgrave, who is one of our AG executive presbyters, passed along his number to a couple of churches. And Matt ended up doing and helping those churches with their books. Few of them were in transition, had nobody to help. And Matt just did it from his heart. You couldn't have made that. You couldn't have. And he still doesn't know how it happened. You know, I can tell you how it happened. Churches are always needing somebody. And, uh, you know, if you tell anybody you got a skill at anything and anybody else finds out about it in church, guess what you're going to do? You're going to show. Okay. So what happened is God took what is excellent in his heart and used it for his kingdom. And that's great. That's awesome. Because I hate numbers. I know math, subtraction, and I stop at long division. You know, because long division is Satan's math. Look up division in the Bible. You'll see it. It's always mentioned with the devil. Hello? You don't like it? Tough. Okay? So we get behind all this stuff. We think there's no way God wants me to do any of this, right? And we start fearing pride as if, as if I go and I do something that I'm good at, then that's pride. No, it's not. You know what? Now you're trapped in false humility. You think that you're being humble and you're not being humble. You see, the humble person would take what they do have and give it to God and not look for any accolades at all. The humble person wouldn't sit on the gift that God gave them and do nothing with it, and say, I just don't want to be prideful. That's just an excuse for being disobedient. If you love to put cars back together, put them together. If you're a diesel mechanic, do it. If you're a farmer like Farmer Dan, farm, farm away. Enjoy that farming. I worked for farmers as a kid growing up. I love them, but that ain't me. I, get, I don't have it. I don't have the patience for it. Like, I know a bunch of you don't have a patience for what I'm doing, but I love it. And I pride because I'm doing it. 
I'm doing it because God put it in me, man. And I'm giving it to him for his glory. It's my gift to him. Okay, here's the next one. Not yet means no. So if it didn't happen right away, it didn't, it didn't come right away, well, that must mean that God doesn't want me to do it at all because, you know, it, it, if it's his will, it'd be here. Come on. David, anointed king, 14 years later. 14 years! And that's after running from Saul and hiding in caves. How many times did he have to encourage himself in the Lord? I think of that one time in the cave of Adullam where he had to go to the mouth of the cave, even his own mighty men and soldiers wanted to kill him. They were done. David had to go and encourage himself. There was nobody else. But he hung on to it. And now think about David for a minute, because he is quite enigmatic. He is an enigma, right? How many people have you... Imagine the movie Gladiator, and yet the the star of Gladiator writes poetry. (laughs) Come on. Come, come along with me in your imagination here, okay? Imagine how that movie and the battle scenes that are played out in that movie. And, and, and imagine that at the end of a battle scene, these gladiators going, yet I will bask under the feathers of God. <laughs> you know, I will shelter in the house of the Most High, you know, and start to wax eloquently in the middle of battle. That's David. He's writing poetry and he's killing giants. Wait a minute. He's not just writing poetry. Have you ever seen these Hebrew guitars? You've not seen them, right? The lyre? Yeah, right? Can you imagine these little delicate songs that he sings? (laughs) Tiptoe through the tulips. These little delicate songs he's writing and singing. And people going, what in the world? We need a king, man. We don't need somebody that's just going to go. And thousands of years later, we're still reading what David had wrote to the Lord. And we're all going, yeah, that ministers to me. Lord, that's how I feel. I read the Psalms. I read the Proverbs. That's exactly how I feel, Lord. Why? Because he wasn't ashamed to give to God what what God had in him. But he had to wait 14 years before he seen some of that happen. Right? How about Joseph? Joseph, it was 13 years. Some scholars say it was 14 as well. Right? Got an awesome dream, right? And then he sold off as a slave. Uh, then, (laughs) Then sold off as... As he sold off as a slave, he's accused of sleeping with someone's wife and then ends up in a, ends up in a, a dungeon and then he, he's still serving God and he interprets two dreams. Those guys forget about him, right? Then he, then he ends up in, in Pharaoh's court and then begins to do the same thing for Pharaoh, saves an entire nation. Then God brings his brothers and his whole family to him. They don't even recognize him. How's that for adding insult to injury? You know, all this entire time, you jerks have done this to me. And his response, his response is, you know what? God used all of this. God used, God used it all. Did he get there? Yeah, sure he did. Was there time? Yeah. Don't give up just because, just because it's not yet doesn't mean it's no to God's will, okay? Uh, the last, just 
Last two are quick. Um, if I stray too far from God's will, he won't be able to use me anymore. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Read Hebrews 11. You know this story, right? I'm just going to bring it to you again, okay? Noah, drunk guy. And I'll tell you why he got drunk. He spent almost an entire year on an ark with a bunch of lousy animals stuck in there. <laughs> I could go a little bit farther, but I won't have many friends. You know, guys need a little space. I think when a man comes to the mountains, he comes home. When a man gets out in the, in, in the wilderness or in the, in the woods, hello. If you're not a guy, you don't get it. I, I, you know, but guys need to be out there. They need space. You can't coop a guy up in a house for too long. It's going to get weird. You know, I met some people, you know, as soon as their husband retires and they're together in a home, they almost want to kill each other. So then they come to see me, right? And I'm just like, it's simple. You need to get out of the house every once in a while again. Because if you stay and you stay in the same... Never mind. Okay. <laughs> Noah, he's a drunk, right? David, an adulterer. Abraham, a coward and a liar, by the way. Oh, it's my sister. That's my sister. Rahab, prostitute. Moses, murderer. Thomas, a doubter. Peter. Peter was just Peter. Right? And, and, and Jesus comes back from the dead at the resurrection and he says hey go find peter go tell peter after all that after he denied him and after really you not only denied christ but you did it with cuss words to a little girl and jesus goes I, i'm still gonna use you still using you right <clears throat> If I commit my life to God, <laughs> he will want me to go to seminary. No. No. No, he won't. No, he won't. Okay? There's about a one in one thousandth, one in a millionth chance of that happening. But people think that. They think, well, if I'm going to obey God, I've got to do everything a pastor does. Because that's the will of God. Really? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> no. Seminary? cemetery okay last one god wants me to respond to every need so if it's god's will right it must be because there's a need in front of me uh-uh and i'll tell you why because you're not god you're not god you're not here to meet every need you're not the the thing that seldom comes out of my mouth but sometimes i have to do it it's this word and it's really hard to do it as a pastor no seldom but no and most of the time it comes out of my wife's mouth to me because she's like honey god hasn't called you to do that if i could save you like a lot of heartache with being obedient and enjoying enjoying serving god Say no more often. Really. Not to God. I ain't talking about to God. You crucify every no to Him. Get rid of that with Him. Do exactly what the Holy Spirit's telling you. But no more and no less. Amen. Don't think that just because there's a need put in front of you that that means it's you. Um, one of the greatest things you can do in the kingdom of God, the body of Christ, or the church is sometimes go, hey, listen, 
And this, you might want to write this down. This ain't too bad. Um, you can fish with a pole or fish with a net. You can fish with a pole or fish with a net. Okay? <clears throat> I'd like to help you with the network. The network of people. There are some people I know. Um, I'm not going to tell you their names yet, though. Because <laughs> here's what people do. Oh, can I have their name and their number and their address? And then I'm going to go tell them pastor sent me. <laughs> you little rascals, you. You're just so intelligent and smart. You got this all figured out. I know you. No. What I do is I go, and I have to learn the hard way. I go, that's not something God's calling me to do. But you know what? I know about 120 people. And I hang out with them every week. And there are a few people I know that might enjoy helping you with that. I'm going to let them know that there's a need. 